Welcome back to You Got It, Dude. I'm Dina. And I'm Whitney. And today, by special request, and that does mean a single request, we will be reviewing and discussing the first two episodes of Full House. And can I say that I love that we got a request. I know, that was great. Anybody (laughs) else out there, make your request. We're totally open to it. Yeah. I think I remember these episodes, but I don't. Obviously, I didn't watch it chronological because this came out before I was born. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I think. Let's see. What was the actual release date? Like, what was the month? I think it was September. Okay. So I was a month old. I remember it vividly. Oh, September 22nd, 1987. Okay. Yeah. So I was a month and five days old. And I was negative two months and four days. Indeed. Yeah. I was in utero. Yeah. I was just kind of like, man, when's Dina going to get here? TikTok. (laughs) TikTok. Yeah. So Full House, the first two episodes, I can see why this was almost canceled after a season. I'll tell you that much. It took me genuinely to get through these, like, I guess, 48 minutes total. It took me quite a few tries. I just had to rewatch it right now, like speed through it because I had forgotten to write the synopsis. Oh, yeah. Like legitimately, I like could not pull it together like from memory. Like most of the time I I write it a few days later, but I'm able to recall what I watched and like nothing was hidden, nothing at all. So be excited for that. How have you been? It's your day off. Yeah, it's my day off. It's President's Day. So, you know, I'm just celebrating the presidents, just just thinking about all of my favorite presidents. It's, you have a favorite president? Do I? Yeah, Willard Fillmore. I don't know if that's a president's name. <laughs> Willard Fillmore? Something Fillmore. Fillmore president? Millard. Millard Fillmore. <laughs> Not Willard Fillmore. That's my apologies. I'm sorry, favorite president. I messed it up. I was just watching uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, which we can get into in pop culture, but they talk about a president that I had never heard of, and I have not felt so dumb. Wait, who is it? Do tell. Uh, Chester A. Arthur. Is it Chester A. Arthur or Chester B. Arthur? It's Chester A. (laughs) Arthur. They say that that name like a million times. Yeah, everybody knows that it's Chester A. Arthur. (laughs) I'm probably wrong. No, no, you're you're totally right. I looked it up. (laughs) But I, I would say my favorite is classic Kennedy, I think. I just sure. love the Kennedy family, but Bobby is my favorite Kennedy, although okay. he never got to be president, which is, you know, sad. Tragic. Yeah. And, you know, just always a classic Obama. I don't think North America will ever get more attractive than when it was Obama and Trudeau. Yep. Or more sort of like, you know, you could tell who the racists are throughout the world. Yeah, that too. I was studying abroad in Sweden when Obama first became president, and it was You'd be shocked at how many racist people there are in Sweden. Uh, I never knew that until you mentioned our new president. Yeah, uh, when I went to Europe, it was right after Brexit. And it was during the primary election when the French guy, Macron, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. The guy that married his teacher. Yep. It was his primary election against a woman that's very Trump-esque. And like, we were there on voting day. Like, it was crazy. Oh, shit. And my dad was just going around, like, asking people what they thought of it. And then they'd be like, so America. And we'd be like, we know. Like, we're not great fans of it either. But yeah, it is crazy how this may be shocking to the rest of you. But um, I am not that politically well-versed because too much of my brain cells is taken up by Olsen knowledge. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I think it, w- it was very helpful for me to see that, like, 
other countries are like aware of what's going on here and like we should be aware of what's going on there and all that kind of stuff and I learned that as a 28 year old woman right exactly <laughs> it's, it's hard to see that like throughout the world people are so much more well versed in American politics than we ever will be externally that's yeah a, that's a hard lesson to learn you know, I think like the first time I knew about French politics was because of Olivier Sarkozy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which ex-husband and Mary Kate for those that if you're not well versed, if you're new. We talk about him every every podcast. So go back and learn more about good old Olivier. Yeah. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. The first one was appropriately titled Our First Show. Full House starts with a woman we will hardly ever see again, Mrs. Tanner, who has been staying with her son and his three daughters after the death of his wife, which he barely seems affected by. Moving in after her is his best friend, mediocre comedian Joey, and rough musician, hottie brother-in-law, Jesse, played by John Stamos, to help with 10-year-old DJ, 5-year-old Stephanie, and 0-year-old Michelle. Because of the new roomies, the girls have to share rooms, which causes tension and DJ moving into the garage. Jesse later tries to bribe her so that he can get laid. Our other plot point is Jesse and Joey trying to figure out how to change a diaper for what seems to be ours. Quiet Stephanie is our voice of reason. Everybody gets used to this new normal. The end. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Okay, so episode one. I didn't expect it to start out like as emotional as it did. I mean, obviously it makes sense. You know, the mom's just died. The grandma's leaving, you know, but it was a pretty intense first episode. Other than Danny just being completely unaffected by his own wife's death. Yeah, like he's just like, things were coming after Pam died. And it was just like, whoa, like. (laughs) That's all we're going to say about it. Yeah. It's almost like they hired not a great actor, somebody who's just a random comedian to play the lead. Did you see that Danny Tanner was supposed to be played by somebody else and they filmed the entire pilot with somebody else? I did. I looked up the pictures from it of like the original Danny Tanner and like I just can't imagine it. Not to bring up like bad feelings for you, but he gives off very goop vibes, Gutenberg. Ooh, yeah, he does. You're right. I saw the picture of him and I was like, yikes. I don't know about this guy. But then again, I also don't know about uh, Bob Saget. So when we're going through this, the house is the exact same that it is going to be for the entire series in Fuller House. But one thing that I did notice is like, was Stephanie supposed to be the original Olsen twin? Like she was supposed to be the obviously the standout child of the show. Okay, yes, I'm glad that you bring that up because I was like, wow, in the beginning, Stephanie was so much cuter and so much less obnoxious. Like she was obviously like very like smart alecky and you know, whatever. But I feel like they like pose her as that main child, like everything kind of revolves around her. She's involved in a lot of the scenes. And it just feels like she's like a lot less obnoxious than she later goes on to become. (laughs) Yeah, as a world, you know, are we better off for Candace Cameron Bure being in our lives? I'm not sure. But like, I really didn't see her as like a standout child actress to have gotten this role when like the 80s was kind of the prime of the child star sitcom. I was like, how did she beat out our Alyssa Milano's for this role? That's a good question. Wait, sorry, were we talking about DJ or Stephanie? We were talking about Stephanie, but then I was saying in contrast to Stephanie, Candace Cameron Bure just felt so blah to me I agree completely I mean she's cute she's chubby but like as like a little child actress she's adorable but she is just very like very basic not too much to her whereas Stephanie I would say it's like pretty you know you can tell she's a star yeah the Olsen twins not even in the credits right 
I honestly, when I picked this one, when I was like, oh, we should watch the first episode, until like the last 10 minutes, I was like, are they even going to show Michelle in this episode? Yeah, they talk about her as if she's like, what's a famous character? Like Niles' wife and Frasier. Like she's just like, yes. always talked about but never shown. Exactly. At some point I was like, is the baby just upstairs for like 23 hours a day just sleeping? <laughs> That's how it seems. Yeah, it was just, it was all weird. And then like, they don't know what to do with the baby. They showed a lot of baby nudity when they did show her. Yes, dude. (laughs) There was a couple things in this where I was like, I don't feel okay with this. Like, okay, obviously we'll get to like episode two a little bit later. But like the way that they carry her around, the way that they show off her like naked little baby body, the way that they sort of like manipulate her and they like put things in her mouth and like whatever else. Like, I get that they're acting but, like, the baby doesn't know that it's acting. Yeah. Like, it's very strange. I don't know. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. I was like, I don't I don't love this. At one point, they set her down, and they, like, almost put her on her knees. And it yep. looks so uncomfortable. I know, dude. And they, like, put her in, like, a pot. They, like, I don't know. There's just a lot where I was like, this is, this is too much, I think. Yeah. And even as, like, an adult actor, I would feel awkward doing that to a baby. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, Joey and Jesse are like taking over. And so Jesse's in Stephanie's old room with the bunnies, which comes a plot point in the next episode. And then Joey's in the alcove, which like, who thought that was a room? I know. I found it very strange that they would put him there. This kind of brings me to my next point, which is, I just wrote down, in 2021, would two single straight men moving in to help raise three little girls be considered like, okay, Jesse and Joey this like failed comedian and this like motorcycle riding like rock and roller. <laughs> like, this seems very strange. Like I feel like if one of Ved's friends told me like, hey, I'm gonna have like two of my guy friends move in and they're gonna help me raise all my daughters, I'd be like, I think I need to call the police. <laughs> yes. I don't like if you were talking about Drew or Ved and like we imagined their friends moving in with them, I'd be like, mm, really? Right, exactly. But this is, not to bring it back to Gutenberg, but this is the height of three men and a baby, where it's just normal for three men to raise a child together. Also, My Two Dads was a sitcom, which I love. Apparently, this is a hilarious dynamic for men to be primary child care. Right. So I have a couple of, I looked up a couple of reviews of Full House at the time. Mm -hmm. And again, it was, it was, let's keep in mind while we're reading these reviews, it was not a well-received sitcom when it premiered in 1987. Clearly me and Dina just being, being a baby myself and Dina being a (laughs) pre-baby. Let's not get political. (laughs) Yeah, right, 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 exactly. Well, two months away, Dina, I'd say that you're pretty, pretty fully formed. (laughs) Now I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> That's funny. But but we were basically their target audience and we weren't, you know, we weren't really aware yet. But so all of these adults in 1987, they wrote these these great reviews. The end of one in the LA Times just says, the entire premise of shared witless fatherhood is a great argument for birth control. <laughs> that one. And then I really liked this entire one from the New York Times. So I'll just read these like couple of paragraphs. It says, the obvious question, While the real world is confronting the burgeoning phenomenon of single-parent households, the vast majority of them headed by women, why are television sitcoms suddenly creating multi-parent households dominated by men? One possible answer, audiences for sitcoms are dominated by women, and researchers believe that they may find watching men more diverting than keeping tabs on other women. 
Or perhaps the producers heard about the enormous popularity in France of a similar plot in a film released here as Three Men in a Cradle? <laughs> I don't know. And then, and then at the end it says, and so it goes, one predictable situation following another, with the actors frantically trying to keep the baby from becoming a full-fledged corpse. Oh my god. Yeah, isn't that great? And then they say that it ends with everybody singing the theme song from the Flintstones, and that's the episode's high point. This was not well received, to say the least. Mm. Oh, so I just looked it up, and Three Men and a Little Baby came out November 25th, 1987. Uh, So the day before I was born. And um, so this actually predated it. Also, did you know that was directed by Leonard Nimoy? What? No. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, tangent. Wait. Hold on a second. Oh, okay, never mind. I saw, I was looking at My Two Dads, which was like a simultaneous sitcom about two guys, two unrelated guys raising a teenage daughter. Loved that on USA in the mornings. Exactly. So I've never seen it, but suffice it to say that I just saw that Paul Reiser was in My Two Dads. But of course, to me, he looked like Steve Gutenberg. So then I was like, was Gutenberg in more than one thing about raising a little girl? Um, no, it's just Paul Reiser. It's Paul Reiser and Stacey Keenan of Step by Step fame. Stacey Keenan was in this? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Wow. It's a pretty good show. So much. The premise of that one is it's two guys. Her mother dies because the mother always has to die. And in her will, she says her dad is one of these two guys. And so the guys <laughs> decide are raising her together until they get paternity results. And then they just decide to never get the paternity results because they have a new family and they're just going to do it as that. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I read about these two male eagles that are raising chicks together. Um, <laughs> so I imagine that that's what's going on here with these two bald eagles. Oh my gosh. I, I hope that they turn that into a sitcom. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... These guys just suck. I guess Danny's okay. He seems pretty paternal in it, um, even though, like, he's clearly a workaholic. He's okay, but I will say his parental judgment to, like, invite his crazy brother-in-law and this, like, comedian to live with him shows pretty poor taste. That's true. There's a Cosby reference in here, speaking of terrible things. And an impression. That wasn't even a good impression, either, for, like, Dave Coulier. I know. It made me, like, full body shudder, though. Yeah, same. I was like, oh, don't do this to a little girl. My question, just a logistical, like, San Francisco thing is, like, where do they park? Like, because they have that garage, but, like, they all have, like, they must all have cars, and also then they turn that into a recording studio. It just confused me. Well, that seemed like a pretty large garage that was connected to the house. I was just kind of like, how does this work? Because even here in Chicago, if you have one of those like the house types of houses that they have in the show, then there's usually like a little alleyway and then you might have like a separate garage. But this one looked like attached. I don't get how San Francisco works in this world. Yeah, neither do I. They do keep a lot of like things that would later come up, such as the Smash Club, Kimmy Gibbler. Uh-huh. Good continuity. I wanted to know how old, I didn't look it up, how old Danny and all of them were supposed to be. Obviously, Jesse's the youngest because he's supposed to be the younger brother right. of Danny's wife. I looked this up for later because I, it comes up in my Olsen Twins gossip. Danny, or I should say Bob Saget, when he filmed this at least, was 31. Okay. And I don't know. Hold on. Let me look up. What's that guy's name? Who's Jesse? What's uh, his name? John Stamos. How dare you? <laughs> how I hate that guy. How dare you? Okay, so he was 63. What's 63 to 87? 24? Jesus, he was 24? Wow. Can that be true? 
Yikes. If you had to go on a date, would you go with John Stamos or Steve Gutenberg? Oh, John Stamos, obviously. Well, you're asking, I mean, you know, I'm not planning on falling in love with either of them. But if I, you know, I wouldn't want to have sex with Gutenberg, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Here's something uh, very disturbing that came to my Perfect. mind while watching this. Can't wait. Candace Cameron Bure in this, 10 years old, right. is less than 10 years from having children in this moment. What? She is closer to having children then than she is to, like, her current day. Oh, my God. Her children are, like, 20. That's insane. I had no idea she had children that young. Yeah. That makes me so <laughs> sad, dude. Right. This just goes back to our theory, should we have been teen mothers? I mean, obviously, at this point, yes. Yeah. Although, 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 when I look back at it, I'm like, man, some of my happiest times were, like, in my late 20s, when I probably should have had a baby already. <laughs> True. But instead, I was just completely single and having fun yeah instead we were roaming around cities literally yeah and islands Mm, that is true anything else about the first one just about how they can't take care of the baby and it's so embarrassing watching them try yeah it is i like how how zany it is i just when i see them like putting on three diapers on her i'm like this is really pathetic but i also can see like guys that we know doing this i won't name names I think that watching this, it's not shocking that this wasn't a hit mm-hmm. because it is not a great first episode. But it does make me sad that, like, in this day and age, like, I think it's gotten better with streaming services, but, like, network television cancels shows so fast. Yep, I know. And, like, nothing's given, like, a chance. I mean, I think we are all blessed to. For the cultural significance of Full House, even though, you know, tough to say if it is or is not a good show in its entirety, you know? Right. It was a large part of growing up in the 90s, which is great, and formed our favorites of, like, step-by-step and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I think, what about my so-called life? How did this survive and that didn't? I know, I think the same thing. It is really weird how, like... I don't know about you. I mean, I think that we've kind of talked about it, but like, I don't know that I've ever watched this first episode, but to try to like reconcile the first episode that we just watched of Full House with something that like later became like such like a, you know, meaningful part of our lives. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. It's like very, very strange to like watch this now. Yeah. And it just gives me like a strange feeling about like the rest of the episodes. Like, am I going to watch them with a different lens? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Okay. So the second episode we watched is called Our First Night. They were probably going for like a naming theme and then they just stop after this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Our First Night is supposed to be a continuation of the first episode of Later That Day, although there is no continuity between the two. The girls go through their various bedtime routines involving songs and improv games. Danny has to go to work, Joey has a gig, so they make Jesse watch the girls at night instead of going to band practice. Apparently, they've never talked about childcare before. So <laughs> Jesse invites the band over to his house so that they can practice there without telling anybody. The girls take advantage, order pizza, and stay up late. Joey comes home, joins the party. Danny comes home dismayed at loud music and purple hair. They all learn a lesson. So this is a real standout episode for Jesse. This is like his first showcase mm-hmm. for John Stamos. I really liked the girls sort of like taking advantage of him and eating ice cream and sort of like pulling one over on him. I like that he's supposed to be like such clearly like a dumbass that he like doesn't understand that like they shouldn't be eating this kind of shit late at night. (laughs) 
I love that he's, God, I mean, just like the sitcom logic of inviting his band over to practice, but then making the drummer use like licorice as drumsticks instead of his actual drumsticks. I was like, wow, this is, you know, chef's kiss. Yeah. Really, really incredible stuff here. The the, the gags are aplenty. Mm-hmm. I think this is unusual in the respect of sitcoms for the fact that there's really only one storyline going yeah there's no b plot or anything like we are just in this band practice for the entirety of the episode that's a really good point because i think that that's probably why it couldn't hold my attention because it was almost just like each scene was just like a continuation of the last one and there wasn't any like real variety so the problem is is that if you're bored with the plot which i was then there's nothing else to like really distract you yeah so i think that's probably it i think like danny goes to work even though he just went to work earlier that day as i said like there's no it's supposed to just be the next day but there's like nothing going on that like relates the two right at all and so danny goes to work and so we're just left like watching jesse figure this out but like there's nothing to figure out like the girls come and eat ice cream the band still plays joey comes home tries to get laid and then danny comes home I'm like, that's part of the reason why I had to rewatch is because when I was thinking about it, that's all I could really think about. I was like, oh, yeah, that is all that happened. Yeah, that's literally it. There's like nothing else that happens. I mean, it's like almost hard to even discuss the episode because I'm like, there's nothing much that happens. A pizza guy comes over. What's wrong with that guy? Like, when would you just go be like, oh, can I hear this random band play? Hey, man, it was the 80s. That's just what happened, Dina. Yeah. Trust me, I remember. I was a month old. I remember. Okay. Like, I'm trying to, like, go through my notes, and I literally, like, this is the height of, like, what was I writing? Yes, I can't wait. Something Junior Bakes? I don't know what that meant. Junior Uh, Bakes. Polyamory? Was there some sort of polyamory reference? I don't know. I imagine that you may have been talking about the fact that there's, like, three of them, and, you know... Yeah, I think think maybe Jesse talked about, like, some girls. I don't know. Weird. I needed checks? I don't know. (laughs) And, oh... I barely took notes on this, but one riveting plot point that I wrote down is that there's a change in continuity of where the closet is in Michelle's room. Oh, wow. That that is how boring the plot was, is that that was something I noticed. I like that. That's fascinating stuff. (laughs) Yep, yep. I liked how, so basically the whole episode revolves around the fact that the girls sneak down they eat the ice cream jesse like tells them no 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 you can't have the ice cream like plus the cake you can only have just the ice cream so then they eat like entire like huge baskin robin like containers of ice cream a piece yeah half gallons i mean fuck if if only i could yeah then they order pizza and they eat it all too and then at the end of it they get in trouble by Danny because Danny finds the containers and he's like, oh, basically, like, they sh- like they should have known better. Like, they took advantage of Jesse. So then, like, they get in trouble and they have to apologize. But it's like, Jesse's fully grown. He's an adult. He should probably know better than to give children entire containers of ice cream and an entire pizza at 11 p.m., you know? Yes, but also, he's 24 and was made to miss out on, like, the most important aspect of his life right now, which is his band. Sure. Like, can you imagine, like, when we were 24, like, Nicole watching a child? Well, yeah. 
but I mean, again, I think that, that that's again on the on Danny as the the parent to kind of understand. That's to me is like this whole thing falls on Danny is that supposedly this is their first night and he's just leaving Jesse to do it and telling him like, hey, I know you just gave up your whole life to move in, but like you have to give up like everything in your life to do this. Right. <laughs> and it's like, and then he's shocked when he comes home and like his daughters have taken advantage. Like what? Yeah, exactly. It just strikes me that this whole thing could have been solved with like just like a nice sit down meeting of like, hey, like here's the deal. We'll have to like divide up the childcare, but like, you know, maybe we could even like get a babysitter for some of these nights, you know, <laughs> like I just, I don't know. It feels like something can be done to like solve this this issue like maybe grandma tanner should have stayed for a couple more days exactly dina i'm wondering at this point in time if you've ever felt like you've been taken advantage of by your niece and nephew when you've been babysitting them so i don't know if this is a mark on me but i've actually like never been left to babysit them and that is because even though i am their godmother and very close with them one grandma lives on premises the other end has kids their age so that's a lot more fun for them sure and then my parents you know my dad's like always desperate to watch the kids so I've never had to but I would say like the advantage of being an aunt before you're a mom is I am definitely the fun aunt so I'm usually the one promoting the bad ideas Yes, dude. It's the best. I feel the same way with my nephews. Yeah, like Candace is always like, oh, just wait till you have a kid. I'm like, literally, I don't have to worry about there's not a chance in hell you will ever be the fun aunt. And she's like, you're right. (laughs) There's just it's just not gonna happen. I love it. It's so funny, dude. So two things. I've never really been taken advantage of by my nephews, but but Ved has. And watching Ved get taken advantage of by them, it's like hilarious. <laughs> Basically, they make Ved, they call him Uncle Ved. They make him go outside and watch them while they're like on their like whatever. I guess this one time it was like Micah on his scooter. And they're obviously supposed to be wearing helmets. And Micah's like, oh, no, no, no. Our parents don't make us wear helmets. You know, he's like telling Ved. And then Ved's like, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, whatever. And then Micah proceeds to go like head over heels, like literally head over the scooter, just like launches himself off and like hits his head and then comes in like sobbing. Oh, my God. Uncle Ved didn't make him wear a helmet. Anyway, so that's number one. But number two is that like my nephews don't take advantage of me, but I love being the fun aunt. Obviously, my nephews are older than your niece and nephew are but so that they're at the point where they like have all this like school drama Mm. that they'll like tell me about but Dina the last time I was there the the drama that they told me about was that (laughs) I can't even say this with a straight face because this is so crazy one of them was quote engaged to quote be married (laughs) but then I I mean come to find out it was just like him kind of like sharing his first kiss with the girl but he's like yeah he's like yeah we were were gonna be married soon but then it got broken up and I was like excuse me (laughs) but I was like are my nephews gonna get married before I do (laughs) I have no interest in marriage but it's just kind of funny to think about my nephews uh you know what they consider engagement and marriage to be it sounds like they're ready you know call me old-fashioned exactly I think that they're ready I just I shudder to think what the next steps might be in their lives at 12 and 9 that's funny that they call him uncle bud because now that we are engaged 
my niece and nephew are going to start calling Drew Uncle Drew because my brother has Aww. very strict policies on the matter. Oh, really? Yeah, like all of his friends, like they'll call each other's friends like, oh, auntie this, uncle that. My brother is just like very strict. Like unless you are an aunt or uncle, you're just your first name. Oh, that's interesting. And so I think that comes from my parents had me and my brother later on in life. So right. most of the people we knew, like their kids were full grown. So it was just me and my brother going to a lot of adult houses. Mm-hmm. And so we just always referred to people as their first names that's just how we were raised it was never like oh auntie this auntie that like we only had one aunt and uncle that was it and so now they've started calling him uncle drew and they're like getting used to it and i made a comment about it because uh my niece told drew that she added him to her family tree at school which is so cute but um i was telling drew's parents about it and i think they were a little offended that he just started getting called uncle drew because he has been around since before both of them were born of course (laughs) but you know but i get that well i I would say that we're really um done talking about this episode since we naturally just stopped talking about it but wait but wait i did have two more things i wanted to just go off onto a tangent but two more things i liked that both episodes end with like weird songs like the first one's the flintstones and then this one's like a conga line but then also uncle jesse sorry john stamos has his fingers or somebody has their fingers in michelle's mouth for like 10 minutes of the episode and this is this is where i was like really uncomfortable with like the baby kind of like manipulation i was just kind of like if i was a baby would i want some grown man's hands in my mouth probably not yeah that's unsettling this combined with the fact that like one of their first memories is being in the shower with like dave coulier really i don't know man Yes, dude. It was there. They told Ellen that their first memories from the full house days was showering with Dave Coulier. Oh. Yeah. So. Where's Alanis' song about that? I mean, she's here to remind you. Yeah. So that's, that's all I wanted to bring up about the second episode. It was a lot. It was very creepy, but we can move on. So Dina, tell me about your pop culture recommendations for the week. Yes. Last night, I rewatched High Fidelity on Valentine's Day. And, you know, it's just the perfect Valentine's Day movie of going through top five heartbreaks. So that holds up, even though I knew it would. Um, I watched Die Hard with a Vengeance, as I, I texted Whitney about. And it's my favorite in the Die Hard series. Like Samuel L. Jackson, great. So good. Before that, I watched True Lies. Just a very heavy action week this week. True Lies, also phenomenal which you need to watch. Yeah, I was gonna say, as Dina knows, I haven't watched it because when she she put it up on her Instagram, I messaged her and I was like, uh, what movie is this? I don't recognize it. And she told me and then I said to Ben, I was like, oh, Dina says that I should watch True Lies. And he was like, uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> he was like, so mad that I hadn't watched it. It's really funny. So Drew's cousin, like, I guess also saw it and like, asked, mm-hmm. like, was like, what's this? And asked her fiance, and he was like, True Lies, and she hadn't watched it either. And he was like, so upset, and so he forced her to watch it the next day. But she loved it, so. That's so good. Um, You know, I'm just here to bring that to the masses, I guess, is what I I'm like saying. That. Other than that, oh, I, uh, TV shows, I watched Unorthodox, which is the Netflix show from, like, early 2020 about a woman who is in like a Hasidic Jewish marriage and then just escaped and moved to Berlin and she like grew up in Williamsburg had never left Williamsburg but like had an accent just because she 
was raised like so in the culture like she mainly spoke Yiddish didn't know you know all that kind of stuff and it's like a four-part limited series and I had orthodox Jewish people live on the same property as me like a couple houses ago and so I was just really interested in the culture and there's some slow parts but also if you're just kind of already inclined to be interested in other lifestyles I would recommend it. Okay, that's awesome. But yeah, other than that, it's been a pretty, like, just consistent, like, watching New Girl and realizing that Nick Miller might be my perfect man. Unsure. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Yesterday for Valentine's Day, I was trying to watch, or I was trying to find, like, a good romantic comedy for us to watch. And then I, like, looked through, like, I kept looking through, like, all those lists of, like, top 100 romantic comedies of all time. And then I came to, like, this very startling realization that I've seen every single romantic comedy, like, multiple times. <laughs> and it made me really sad. So instead, Ved and I watched a great early 2000s, I don't know what you would call it, but a great movie starring Ryan Phillippe called Antitrust. Antitrust. Oh, wow. I remember it, but I didn't see it. It has, like, Rachel Lee Cook, Claire Forlani. It's really, really good. I actually really enjoyed it, like, probably more than I expected that I would. Really, really good. A lot of t- plot twists. I enjoyed it. And then other than that, we've just been watching the Australian Open for tennis. And I realized that, you know, I enjoy tennis, but I enjoy it much, much more when there's like something like weird going on. Like there's this guy who is Australian. His name is Nick Kyrgios. And he basically like loses his mind every single time he plays tennis. He like starts yelling at people. He like yelled at people in the audience to like shut up and be quiet. I really like watching him lose his mind. That's like my favorite, my favorite kind of tennis, watching people lose it. That's the best. I do think that like people in tennis do seem to get really angry. Yeah, that's explained it to me that like, you know, they're all alone out there. So it's really hard on the the human psyche so I totally get that and you can see people like you know they'll like talk to their coaches in the box and they like you can watch people like literally slowly lose their minds but I like when they just kind of like completely just snap and this guy Nick Kyrgios he just is constantly just snapping on people (laughs) and it's my favorite my favorite thing to watch that's I think all of my recommendations sadly that's been a week it has been a week speaking of it being a week is um, I want to bring a new segment to the show. Ooh, I can't wait. Where, and I'd kind of mentioned this to you before, where we go through Hollywood apologies. Because yes, dude. I think, so I went to college in public relations. Whitney has worked in communications. We are also mm-hmm. both pop culture enthusiasts, dare I say experts. And we often will just talk offline about the apologies that come out. We don't come from it from a place of like accepting the apology or that because that is obviously not our place, especially with a lot of the apologies coming out now. But sure. it's more about the structure of the apology, the actual like science behind it. Like what does this come down to? Is it good or is it not? So I wanted to go into Bachelor Nation. There have been so many apologies this week coming from that. So those that don't know, the front runner of the season is a girl named Rachel. It came out that she attended an antebellum party, which is a party celebrating the Old South. She has liked racist means. Her parents are kind of in some questionable organizations, made some questionable donations, and she's also liked a bunch of things. And also taken a picture in front of the Confederate flag or something like that. Mm. So then they were talking about her behavior. Rachel Lindsay, the first Black Bachelorette, was talking with 
with Chris Harrison. Basically, Chris Harrison mansplayed and made all these apologies on behalf of Rachel. And so then he had to take back on that, which was his first apology. Then Rachel released an apology. And then Chris had to release another apology. So should we just go through them? Yeah, let's just go through them. I mean, Chris Harrison's, I only saw his last apology. So I think that it would help if I maybe looked up his first, or did he apologize to Rachel Lindsay or did he just kind of like apologize on behalf of that chick? He, so, so when he first like came out and they're talk and he's talking with, they're both named Rachel, which is like confusing. Right. So when he's talking to Rachel Lindsay about Rachel Kirkconnell, Uh He basically said, and I think this sentiment of what he was trying to say, like, until we hear from her, it's not my place to make a comment on it. Right. But instead of just saying that, he basically just said, like, she was an 18-year-old girl and it happened five years ago. Both of those are false. She was 22 and it was three years ago. Yikes. And, like, you know, before we just condemn her, we should hear what she has to say. And was that a bad look for 2018 or 2021? And then Rachel Lindsay's like, um, celebrating the Old South wasn't a good look ever. Yeah. And so, and Rachel was like, yeah, we should hear from her. Like, that's what we're saying. We need to hear from her. Like, why hasn't she spoken out about this? Uh-huh. And so basically he just mansplained the whole thing to her and like made a bunch of excuses and said that like he was basically speaking out against cancel culture and I do think cancel culture is dangerous but he came off as defending her which is just right. terrible. And see that's that's the problem is that I think putting words in anybody's mouth or like trying to like defend people when they should be sort of speaking for themselves is probably the most dangerous. I would also say that like this is this is a particularly bad look not only because of obviously all of the it would be a bad look regardless but it's particularly bad because she's on Mad James season which is pretty crazy you know yeah like this is you know a black bachelor and here she is kind of like a lot of these things aren't a good look so yeah it's not the best So he basically like after the story comes out and like everybody's outraged he comes out with an apology I will always own a mistake when I make one. I'm here to extend a six-year apology. I have this incredible platform to speak about love. And yesterday I took a stance on topics which I should have been better informed. While I do not speak for Rachel Kirkconnell, my intentions were simply to ask for grace and offering her the opportunity to speak on her own behalf. What I now realize I have done is cause harm by speaking in a manner that perpetuates racism, and for that I am deeply sorry. I also apologize to my friend Rachel Lindsay for not listening to her on a topic she has first-hand understanding of, and humbly thank the members of Bachelor Nation who have uh, reached out to me to hold me accountable. I promise to do better. So, like, that's an okay apology, right? Like, so that was apology one, right? Yeah, that was apology number one. I think he could have done more to speak about how he spoke to Rachel Lindsay, because I think that was part of the problem. Also, he, I think the marker of a good apology is to say what you are going to do. Yep. And basically all he does is say what he could have done more in that conversation. But like the only thing he offers as far as action is I promise to do better. And it's just like, all right, like that's stupid. Like, right, exactly. It's, it's, it's essentially like a non-apology apology, Yeah, you know, just in like, terms of like, okay, bad. you're saying sorry, but like, what's the meaning here? Like, what's the actual outcome, you know? Yeah. Like all he's saying is like, I'm a man. I didn't listen. Just, just give this girl a chance. You should really listen to her. He's still essentially saying that. 
so I guess at least he like called out a few things that he did. I don't know. So to me, that was just a very meh apology. Definitely. So then Rachel Kirkconnell releases an apology, the one he was defending. And I actually thought her apology, just like I said, it's not my place to accept her apology or anything like that. But just from a purely PR perspective, I thought it was pretty good. Like she calls out what she did. She kind of gives like what she needs to do going forward. She also put in the comments like, this is not white people's place to accept this apology. Like this is only directed at people that I've hurt and offended. Mm -hmm. Do I think it's sincere? Not sure. Right. So my question for you, like, I mean, this is maybe like getting too deep into the weeds here, but I'm sincerely curious about this. Mm -hmm. So reading what she wrote here, Rachel Kirkconnell, Mm -hmm. she is a contestant on The Bachelor. So just however many months ago, she was like a normal person. Yeah. Do you think that she had help with this statement or do you think that she actually like wrote it on her own? Because it seems very like PR'd, massaged. I think she probably had PR massage also because it is looking likely she is the winner. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that they would help her and also because she is likely with Matt James right now who is the black man, you know, right. she needed to call that out. I think it is her at the bottom saying, like, this is for people of color that I have offended. Mm-hmm. What I don't like about this, and I don't know if this is garnered more towards the fact that it did have PR influence or non-PR influence, is that it is so tiny and hard to read. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that I don't know if somebody would have told her to do that or if that was on purpose. I do like that she responded to a decent amount of comments and just, like, said, like, Thank you to people that, like, literally called her out in the comments, you know, and things like Mm -hmm. that. So I would say this is a lot better than we've previously seen from Bachelor Nation as far as apologies. Right. Now, I have a second question about this. Mm -hmm. So contextualizing this as somebody who, you know, going to an antebellum party might be recognized as one thing, liking racist tweets and confederate flag photos and all of these other things as you know recently as you know it seems like relatively recently yeah that's a complete other and again it's not our apology to accept or not to accept but does it ring a bit false that she's saying all of this now oh yeah i mean i think and and it reads as such like you know i don't know it, it just reads very very strange considering her like actions i guess you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she also was accused of bullying people for dating black men in the past. Like, she has a whole, like, history list of problematic behavior and racist behavior. And that's how it seems that she was raised. And she might still hold those values. And she seems like a real messed up person. Hmm. I hope this call out is a way for her to learn from those mistakes. Right. But I do think with any apology, especially when it comes in the form of this, it is really hard to judge the difference between a performative apology and actually meaning it. And that's only like really only future behavior can really determine that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Unless she says like, I am currently working with a coach on learning the history of this, you know, that would have been something I think maybe she should add. 
but then again, like that could seem performative. And so see, that's what I was going to say is that I actually honestly almost think that that's even like more performative. Like when I heard like Stassi kind of talking about that sort of thing mm-hmm. in the wake of her apology, I was like, well, would you be doing that if people didn't like heavily call you out to the point where you like lost your livelihood? No, you know, I highly doubt it. Yeah, but obviously both of those behaviors, like it's very easy to see why it was a problem, mm-hmm. you know, like what Rachel Lindsay said of going to an old South party wasn't great in 2018. Like you could see that. Right. I think to see why it's a problem, there's an account called the Black Charettes, which is a Mm -hmm. two black women that talk about the Bachelorette. One of them recorded like a thing on it of why Chris's apology was like so terrible and what's wrong with like Rachel Furconnell. And I think she like put it really well as to like why this is a problem. Mm -hmm. But just... As far as like, you know, I think like asking if the apology is performative or not, or the action going forward, I think that more goes into like, where I don't really want to get into like, whether or not I think the apology is true, or whether that is just because I don't know, that's, that's a tough place to say. And like, obviously, being white, I can't really judge that. Right. It's not for us to say. Yeah, Yeah. I agree with you. I just think that it's so interesting when you consider the sort of like grand tradition of apologies, especially in this day and age, you know, when people like make fun of like apologies on the notes app. Yeah, which is the other one we need to get to, which is probably the more fun one of Justin Timberlake. Oh, yeah, for sure. But no, I just think that it's just sort of sort of interesting when you kind of like consider the fact that like there are people like massaging these apologies. And there's all these people sort of like putting these very like carefully together. Mm -hmm. But I'm always just kind of like, man, like you almost get like overwhelmed with apologies to the point where it's like an apology essentially becomes meaningless after a while. Exactly. That's sort of like where we're headed. Yeah, I just think with this one, I think whether or not it's true, I think we'll see, especially given who they get to host after the Rose special. Because spoiler alert, Chris Harrison's apology wasn't enough, and now he can't host anything for the rest of the season. Ouch. But I do, I will say that I liked that she put in the comments, especially because Bachelor Nation is so white, that she put like, white people don't comment on this. Yep. (laughs) Like, this is not for you. The next one, obviously, is Justin Timberlake apologizing to Janet Jackson and Britney Spears in the Notes app for 20 years of ruining their career. Now, I haven't seen the documentary. As I stated last week, um, it's just too sad for me. Sure. But I bet we can all guess what a jerk he is. And the fact that I mean, he admits to, like, profiting off their career, but, like, he just basically says, like, yeah, I made a good career off of it. Sorry, I'll try to do better. But, like, is it making a donation? Like, there's no action in his apology whatsoever. Well, that's exactly it. And I think this one, I do think that we can comment on because, you know, this was obviously... Against women. Yep, this is a misogynistic sort of behavior that happened multiple times. There was no accountability back in the day. There's been no accountability throughout the past 20 years. And yet now, because of this sort of like social media fervor, because of the fact that like Justin Timberlake, essentially, you know, when you watch him in this movie, he does not look great. And so understandably so, people have been getting very upset with him on social media. He has obviously seen this. He has a new movie out. He has, you know, probably 
probably future music, everything else coming up. So obviously he doesn't want to get like quote canceled. And so, you know, this is kind of the result of that. It seems very pandering. It's a bad apology for multiple reasons. It's like a reaction to social media backlash. So it's like, it's like the most clear version of something that's like almost unnecessary because it's being done only because he's like, "Uh oh, people are mad at me. You know, like, that's like so clear. But then also there's like, it's such like a non-apology apology. apology. It's just kind of like, oh, sorry, I was an asshole. Oops. I don't find it that like genuine. And like his thing, like he ends it with, he blames the industry. Sure. It's set up to be flawed. The industry did not make you go on Howard Stern and talk that way. And he ends it with, I can do better and I will do better. So next time you pull a woman's top off at the Super Bowl, you'll be sure to take responsibility for that and not lie. Like, I don't understand what doing better means. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, people were like, oh, did you take Britney's virginity? He's like, oh, yeah, I did. You know, like, okay. Like, how are you going to apologize for that 20 years later? That's stupid. Just be like, yeah, I was a fucking asshole. I just, I don't know. And then, and then, I'm sorry, but like, again, going back to the fact that like, we can comment on this. I also thought, found it like really, uh, how do I say this? It came off as very like false and very like fabricated. The fact that one of the first comments that you see on there is like from Jessica Biel, (laughs) you know, being like, I love you. Like, like a woman has to stand by her man. Like as if the PR team wasn't like, Jessica, you got to get on there first. Yeah. And also the fact that um, he had to apologize to her last year. And see, that's the other thing is that it's like this behavior didn't just start at a certain time. It didn't just end at a certain time. It appears that it has continued. Yeah. It's not, it's not great here. And I will say I met Justin when I was like 12 years old. Wow. I did not know this. Oh, you didn't? My brother got me backstage passes to go meet in sync. And Chris Kirkpatrick was the nicest one. JC was also really nice. Justin, literally, he was meeting just like a line of people. I get it. You do this every day, whatever. He could not have been more of an asshole. Like he was such a dick. And I remember being like at like at 12 years old, because you know, I mean, my favorite was JC, but whatever. I liked Justin. And it really like broke my little 12 year old heart that he was such an asshole. Of course. Like we're talking like wouldn't make eye contact, like barely like had the energy to like even sign something like he... (sighs) He could have said hi. He could have like to, to anyone, not even me, to like anyone in the line. It was one of those things where it's like, don't meet your idols, you know? I mean, I loved NSYNC and it was just a bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. Like, as I said, like when I met the Olsen twins, they could have been nicer. But like, I'm, I fear meeting any more idols. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I was just telling Drew this last night. Sorry to take a tangent. But so high yeah. fidelity. Mm-hmm. The younger version of John Cusack is played by Drake Bell, which for those that don't know, I stand Drake Bell hard. And when I did a meet and greet at his concert, I said, I loved you in high fidelity. And he looked at me so strangely and he was like, that was a really long time ago. And I was like, what a dick. Oh, what? (laughs) That pisses me off. I feel like that could be like nicer. Going back, I mean, I hate to say it, but going back to Ryder Strong, in my head, Ryder Strong has now been, like, crystallized. Like, even, like, looking back to, like, him on Boy Meets World, whatever, he is now crystallized as, like, the ultimate celebrity in my head because he, he could not have been nicer when we met him. And, like, more just, like, down to earth and more just kind of, like, yeah, it was so much fun and da 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 And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what a good guy. <laughs> 
I'm trying to think, like, if I've had any other, like, close personal... Oh, like, when I worked PR, like, as my internship, and I, like, met Antonio Banderas and Laura Linney for a press junket, Uh um, and, like, she could not have been nicer. She was like, hi, I'm Laura, and I was like, I know, but, like, Antonio Banderas is, like, a psychopath. I mean, not a psychopath. Really? Like, he, he was just, like, really, like, energetic and, like, all over the place and, like... Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and I spent, like, a good deal of time with him. Like, we were in an elevator together. Like, it was extended. Wow. Yeah. I do – one of my favorite things about Instagram and, like, Demois is, like, a great place for this, but, like, in general – is those like celebrity encounter stories. Mm-hmm. I love when you kind of like read about like people encountering people who are like like unexpectedly nice or like they unexpectedly like I just read one about like Britney Spears and her like driver when she was like 17, you know, and then yeah. a guy like ran into her at a party later and she like remembered his name and like remembered like everything about him, you know? And I was like, "Oh, that's like kind of cool to hear, you know, cuz I'm sure celebrities meet a lot of people in their lives." Yeah, and like you hear that like I feel like encounters like that are are kind of what redeemed Keanu Reeves in his career definitely I did ask like the PR team like that I was working with I said who's the most annoying celebrity you've dealt with okay I can't wait for this they said it was Emile Hirsch really she just said she had to walk with him at like some Sundance thing and he was like the kind of guy that wanted to go in all the gifting booths and like basically just took advantage and like was a really big jerk about everything what the fuck i mean like okay dina name like all the emile hirsch movies that you can name right now alpha dog the dog not slumdog the dog the venice skating movie right sure um and um the the into the wild yeah yeah that's all i can name yeah i'm out yeah so my whole thing is this how is that guy able to act like that? Like, I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. And also, tragically, that, so it was like towards the end of my internship, and I was talking to her about, I said something about like how I was like a diehard for Conan. And she was like, oh my gosh, you should have told me I needed somebody to escort somebody on Conan next week, but I just got the movie <gasps> PR team to do it. Oh my gosh. I could have been up close and personal with my main guy. I bet Conan's great too. Yeah. Every time I like hear anything with him or like any podcasts or anything, I'm always like, that guy's a good guy. I can tell. Do you listen to his podcast? I don't listen to his, but I listen to, um, oh, that can be another recommendation. I listen to Nicole Byer. She's like this awesome comedian. She's super funny, but she has a podcast called Why Won't You Date Me? (laughs) And it's now because she's just like perpetually single. So then she has people on and then she talks to them about like relationships and tries to get like dating advice but it's really good but now it's on the team coco like network and so one of the first she had him on as a guest and it was just like really i don't know you could tell that he had like a lot of respect for her as a comedian and was like super nice but i was just like oh he's like such a good guy i don't know wow we really went on a tangent here so to wrap it up justin timberlake and chris harrison are trash and yep. Rachel Kirkconnell did get good PR advice, but it is yet to seem if it's actually an apology, mm-hmm. but at least somebody wrote her a good statement as far as PR statements go. Yeah. Applause on the statement. Applause on the statement, whether or not she's a good person, not for us to say it. I mean, we can tell she was not a good person, but like going forward. Yeah. Still TBD on whether she'll actually change her behavior or not. Exactly. But- I think that's what I'm trying to get across is like... You know, yep. I, I'm not the judge on this, I guess, but like, I feel like I do know 
how to write an apology effectively, considering I've had to do it for a living. I would love for us to just, you know, I'm sure that we'll, we're going to step into hot water on this podcast, and then I'm going to have Dina write our apology. I'm scared about this one. Oh, God. <laughs> What's the opposite of misogynistic? That's what we are on this podcast. Toxic femini- feminism? Yeah. Yeah, we're toxic, toxically feminist. And I will say, if like anybody hears anything on like that on this podcast that like they feel that we could have said better or that we didn't know could be problematic, like let us know. Mm-hmm. Wow, we're just opening ourselves up to. Well, no, if there's just something like I don't know is problematic. Yeah, and like I would want somebody to tell me like, hey, actually no, you, you you shouldn't say it this way or this way, or that's why this is no longer... That's no longer, yeah, okay. Yeah, I like that, especially because, you know, obviously we're just sort of like, this is just a conversation between two friends. This isn't, you know, we certainly don't have many notes here. So. Exactly. I feel like the really only people that we've had malice for in this podcast at all are white men who continually put them around women or small children. I feel like those uh, are the yeah. people we have spoken out mostly against, and I'm completely fine with that. <laughs> I, I think that we must continue to call exactly. them out. Exactly. I feel so. like that is our duty. Exactly. Okay, so on that note, we should wrap up since it's been this has been a long one. Mm. Do you have any Olsen gossip? Oh, yeah. My only Olsen gossip was from E! News. Mm-hmm. It was Bob Saget talking about how Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen have supported him in a big way after Full House. Basically, he said that they see each other whenever they're in New York and they're here. But then the idea they've always been supporting them in a big way when he's gone through hard stuff. Like, it's just crazy to me. So imagine right now, he was 31 when he met the Olsen twins as a baby. They were babies. And I just imagine like us right now meeting little babies and then like 30 years from now being like, oh yeah, they really supported me when I got through hard times. Like, it's just crazy to think about. I don't know. Yeah, like we could have not met our biggest supporters yet. Yes, exactly. That's it's crazy. But I mean, I guess it shows that they're like good people. And even though they didn't want to do Fuller House, like it's not like they shun it completely. Exactly. Yeah, I, I do think that that's like actually something really nice. And he talks really nicely about Candace Cameron, Beret, and uh, Jody Sweeten as well for being supportive of, of him. But I think that they mostly just like focus on the Olsen twins because they're like such kind of reclusive figures yeah. that they, they like to highlight that. So there you go. Oh, that was a nice. That was a nice thing to end on. I think so too. So Bob Saget not canceled yet. No. Um, just kidding. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up. So to wrap it up, let us know if you have any recommendations for anything else that we should watch. Give us a review for our podcast. Follow us on Instagram. I'm at Whitney R Peterson, and then our podcast is You Got to Do Pod. And I'm at Dina.day. Yay. All right, Dina. I think that that's it. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. Bye.